Okay, here's the perfunctory report from Lon on his cancer. So uh, I'm going to limit this to one minute. Uh, our recent attempts to control the cancer through chemotherapy have failed. The uh, existing tumors continue to grow. That's not good news. The good news, however, is that I've been accept, uh, accepted into an experimental trial of a new drug that works on the genetic levels. There are literally genes, there are aberrant or errant genes that are just producing cells repeatedly. That's what cancer is. We now know that I have one of those kinds of genes, and they developed a medicine that literally goes in and tries to shut it down. So if you would just pray that the medicines Lana's on now would shut it down. I kind of like that, shut it down. Okay, great. Now I get the chance to, to speak to you this morning. My son Eric is an artist. And uh, his passion, or one of the ways he expresses his art, is he likes to find old windows, dirty, and the seals broken, and the ones you throw out before you call Pella or, or Anderson. And he'll find these, and then he takes them, and he washes them clean, and they're absolutely ugly. But then he starts his work of almost like psychedelic colors on, on the back of it. And, and, and it starts to take shape into something that is alluring. And then on the front, after, after all the background is done in the psychedelic uh, frames, then, then he will create a character or place a character there for which the whole expression of the painting is about. He's just finished one on, that has B.B. King there. Now with that behind that. And then he puts black light behind them. Well, how many of you from the 60s? <laughs> All right, great, great. And then he puts black light behind it, and they're just stunning. He's got one of, of the four beetles that I still wait for him to give to me, and he hasn't done yet. Uh, <laughs> but it's absolutely it's just so, so he creates something out of nothing. That's what I'm trying to get at. Uh, there's a Latin term, ex nihilo. Uh, creating something out of nothing. Art does that. God is an artist. And so God saw a, an earth that was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And from nothing, God creates the world. He is an artist, God. But he doesn't just create a world, as we're starting to find out now in the early sections of the book of Genesis. He, he actually creates, out of nothing, a brand new nation. Not easy to do as we get ready to celebrate the 4th of July. And, and that isn't the end of it. He creates the world out of nothing. He creates a nation out of nothing. And then he will create something out of a man who was nothing. His name is Abraham. Abraham has a desperate need for help in his life, as I'm going to show you. But let's keep our theme flowing right through here. God creates beauty out of nothing. Think of your own life. You'll see it today. All right. 
The man's name is Abraham, and if you were here last week, I believe Will started speaking about him, and so you started to get some insight, but I have been given the great text uh, on the life of Abraham, and I would like to read it uh, to you, but ask you to stand as the word of God is brought to you. Chapter 12 of Abraham, sorry, Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Yeah, I couldn't read about Abraham because he, he's still nothing. So he's got to become something. All right, so here we go. Here's the text, chapter 12, 1 through 9. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. Lot, his son-in-law, of course, uh, his, his nephew, of course, younger, when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sari, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Verse 6, Abraham traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. And at that, Canaanites were in the land all around him. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, Abram, I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev, which means the south. May God add his meaning to his word in our lives this morning. Please be seated. So the story of Abraham is, uh, Abram, Abraham, is it, it, it really starts probably in southern Babylonia in a place called Ur. And Ur was a great city. And his father, Terah, was still alive. And by what accounts we have, we think that they were pretty well off. They were city dwellers. And somehow they had uh, made a very, very good living. Don't know how. We, we know that, that Ur was a place of uh, wealth, library, schools, and multiple gods that were worshipped. Get this. Abram started as a polytheist. He believed in many gods. Then his father, Terah, says, let's move from here and let's go to Haran. And that's 550 miles to the north. And I think they headed there when Abram was maybe 35 or so years old. He's already married to Sarah, and Sarah is thus far barren. But they go up into Haran, where, his, where they also are now in another great city. It was a crossroads 
of that region of the world. So people from many cultures were passing, commerce was coming through. And once again, by the, by the words we have that talk about their people, it's like they grew not only biologically, but probably those that were associated with them in whatever commerce they were involved in. In other words, he was a man of means who believed in 300 gods. That's perhaps the best way to say it. There are up to 300 different gods that the Babylonians and in Haran that they worshipped. So don't think of Abram as this special, set-aside, cool guy who, who believed in one God and a world of many gods. He believed in the many gods. And that's why it's so moving when the Lord says to him in verse 1, the Lord Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. We believe that he first said this to Abram when he was still down in Ur before they went to Haran. Now they've gone to Haran and he's 75 years old. But he hasn't forgotten that there is a God, which he would not call the God perhaps yet, but there was an a God that was communicating with him. And this God said, I want you to go from Haran in your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will give you. Well, he's got some big shoes to fill. God tells him as it goes on that he's going to be part of a great nation, that he will be blessed, that his name will be great that he will bless those who bless you and curse those who curses Abraham, and that all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through him. That's an enormous legacy to carry. And yet he starts now to narrow in from polytheism to listening to this one God. And God will speak to him seven times, I read, in, in some of my background reading this week on this, at least seven times. And so it's easy to think, well, Abram had it easy. God just always spoke to him. No, seven times. He lived to be 175 years old, so that's about once every 25 years. No different than us. He believed before he could see. He believed when he couldn't hear. He lived by faith. So off they go. Now you say, well, why did he choose Abraham uh, if he wasn't this noble, wonderful character from the word go? All I can tell you is his life was a mess. Uh, he was spoken to by God seven times, and he fell on his face at least five times. The first time he fell on his face is he, the very first thing God says to him, he doesn't obey. Where God says, leave your people Leave your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Well, he went to the land that God would show him, but he would take his people with him. He would take his relatives with him. I, I don't know how many actually traveled from Haran down into Canaan, but 300 or more at least. So immediately he does what God tells him not to do. And there was good reason for that. His relatives will cause Abraham to have to go to war to try to save him. So you can see he took responsibility for far too many people too fast. That's number one. Number two, he goes down into the land of Canaan and he builds those altars in Canaanite land. 
You know, he's, he's a minority in this land with his people. And then he builds another one in, in Bethel. And, and these, as far as I can understand, these building of, of these, you know, yeah, yeah, altars. Dankeschön. <laughs> Multilinguistic. <laughs> All right. He builds these shelters and, and devotes them to the Lord. In other words, it's as if saying, I am surrounded by nations, and yet God tells me uh, uh, that this will become my nation, and so I'm putting, uh, I'm putting my foot in the ground right here. I'm putting my foot in the ground right here. And I believe that this will happen, even though it seems like the farthest thing that could ever happen. And then it says, the next thing he, he does is he then goes down further into the south, into the Negev. And we know that he doesn't stay in Canaan, where he was sent. He decides to go to Egypt. Why? There's famine in the land. Egypt's a rich country. And so he gets into the midst of the Egyptian world. Great civilization at this time. But once again, he did what he was not supposed to do. Have you ever done what you're not supposed to do? So you can relate to Abram. All right, so, so he's down there, and then he gets really afraid, because if you think the Canaanites are scary, the Egyptians are really scary. It's a powerful civilization. And so evidently his wife was very good looking. Sari was, some, was something to look at, evidently. And he says, well, since, since you're also my sister, by my father being with another woman, would you be willing to just call yourself my sister when you're in Egypt? Because some pharaoh is going to want you and they'll kill me in the process. And so she does that. And then Pharaoh almost consummates with her. We don't know for sure. And then he finds out that this is a married woman. And Pharaoh says, why have you done this to me? I could be punished by the gods. And you think, okay. And so he learned his lesson and he had to leave Egypt. He'll do it again. He'll get back up into the Canaan lands with, with Arab peoples. And Ambivalech is a great king. And once again, he says, Sarah, uh, you are my wife, but you're also my sister because you re And she goes, yeah, your father had me, had me with another wife. I got it. So would you call yourself my sister? Same thing happens. When ambivalent finds out that this is his wife, he says, why did you do this to me? God could, the gods could destroy our nation. Then, I'm still not done. This man was a mess. I'm still not done. Because years go on, and part of the promise is that Sarah would, would produce the progeny for Abraham, and she couldn't get pregnant. So at age 86, Sarah convinces Abraham to actually birth a child from her servant, Hagar. And he does that against God's will. And she produces a child whose name is Ishmael. And all I have to do now is say two words. Arabs, Israelis. We're still paying for that one. 
Then, this is my final, then, years later, he pleads with God to make Ishmael his heir because he knows he's not going to have one. And God says, Sarah will produce your seed. And it will be through Sarah that this nation will become one. So he's actually asking for God to let someone else be the heir rather than his own progeny through Sarah. I'm just saying, uh, don't think that God can't use you if you don't have your life all together. Abraham's a great man, but I would say he became a great man. He wasn't in the beginning. And, and so the only thing I know how to do with this, I put it on a slide for you, is God uses whom he chooses to accomplish his purposes. <laughs> Doesn't make sense to us sometimes, but it does to God. God uses whom he chooses to accomplish his purposes. Well, you say, well, but Lon, did he have any strengths at all? Were there anything he had going for him? Yeah, as you study his life, Abram's life, he had an amazing capacity to pick himself up when he was knocked down. And you think of someone who lived 175 years who had been promised a nation from his wife, Sarah, who had not birthed a child until he was 100 and she was 90. He had a long time of waiting, didn't he? Pretty tough for all of that. But he had a way of even when he did really awful things of being able to get up, seek God's forgiveness, trust him again, start all over again. In fact, I thought of a song. Because several of you said, please make sure you preach the word, but also sing. Okay, so, so I was thinking of my friend Frank Sinatra. No, he was, my, he was my dad's generation, but he did some good music. And as I think of the ups and downs of Abraham's life, the song that started floating through me is one that's called That's Life. That's life, what the people say. You're riding high in April and you're shot down in May. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? But I know I'm going to change that tune when I'm back on top in June. I said that's life. And as funny as it may seem, some people get their kicks stomping on a dream. But I don't let that get me down because this fine old world, it keeps spinning around. I've been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet, a pawn and a king. I've been up and down and over and out and I know one thing each time I find myself laying flat on my face I pick myself up I get back in the race that's life yes 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 he just kind of had this Teflon coating and, and it, it, things just didn't go his way hardly ever, and some of it was his own fault. And, but he just kept being there, and he kept listening for God. And so it wasn't his goodness that gave him God's favor. It was his faithfulness that brought him God's favor. He always kept coming back to God, just like you and I are called to do. So he gets up from his mistakes. That was number one. Number two, this is his big, big Big plus. He believes 
and follows the one God by faith. Remember, he comes from a polytheistic society. He casts that aside. He chooses to believe in the one God whom he can't see and seldom hears. He lives by faith. He lives by believing. Faith is the heroic effort of this life. Think about it. Clinging to God, holding on to God, not denying God, it is the great heroic effort of our lives. And God says to him, all people on earth will be blessed through you. Look at Genesis 15, 5 now. You can just turn over two pages, or we'll have it on the screen for you too. It's an interesting text. And this is just a little bit later when he's very, very worried again that he won't have an heir to carry on. And God says to him down in verse number 5, Genesis 15, he says, God took him outside and said, Look up at the sky, count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then so shall your offspring be. He didn't even have one offspring yet. And now God's saying as many as the stars. Now think about this a little bit. Transport ahead. 30, well, if, if he's between 1500 and 2000 B.C., Knock that down to when Jesus is born. Add 2,000 years. For 3,500 years, people have known the name of Abraham. And, and truth be told, today over 3 billion people, half the planet, trace their spiritual heritage to Abraham. Jews, Muslims, and Christians. That's half the world. God's not satisfied. His nation will be his kingdom. And he intends to grow it under the leadership of his Lord, Jesus Christ. So realize this. Abraham's blessings were not because of any bloodline. He was the beginning. Secondly, they weren't for any kind of behavior because he was a mess. But there's one thing he did better than anybody. He picked himself up, and he chose to believe in God. Even when he couldn't see him, even when he couldn't touch him, and even in the lonely nights where he couldn't hear him, though he cried out for direction. Not bloodline, but it's belief line. Genesis 15, 6 uh, says this. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Don't lose that. That phrase, that verse, that truth will flow all the way into the era of Jesus and the apostles. And the apostle Paul will use this text in Galatians to talk about how people aren't saved by their behavior. They aren't saved by their bloodline. The way we are rescued from sin is by belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. God simply said, I choose to see Abraham as righteous and I will start my kingdom through him. His bloodline and his belief line. That's how he would do it. And so on and on it goes, but you didn't know it would hit us so well. Galatians chapter 3, 
verses 6 through 9, if you'd like to turn to it. Or once again, it will be on the screen. Galatians 3, 6 through 9. I read the following. So Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. God declared, you are righteous because of your belief in me. He announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. This boggles my mind. This is the kind of thing I'd like to talk to Richard Schultz about. Are you here today, Richard? We've got our Old Testament scholar here. But this notion where he says, where, where Paul tells us that God announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Abraham didn't know what was going on. But at some point, did he explain to him that his bloodline would produce a progeny and the world would get worse and worse, but this progeny would hang on until the coming of the one who could save everything in heaven and on earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a direct bloodline to Abraham. Maybe it was when, when he was about to sacrifice Isaac, his own son, Sarah's son, and, and just before he sacrificed him, he, God says, wait. And God had provided another sacrifice. Abraham believed in him so much that he knew that if he was being asked to kill his own son, as it says in Hebrews 11, that God would find a way to resurrect him from the dead. That's how much he believed that the bloodline God had promised was now in motion. Just amazing. But I haven't given you the good news. Right at the end of verse 8, all nations will be blessed through you. All nations. So that those who rely on faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. So those who rely on faith, belief and faith are synonymous terms. Those who believe and rely on belief are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We are actually called in the New Testament, Galatians, we are called the, the progeny of Abraham. Not blood-wise, but belief-wise. And so you and I can be declared, be declared righteous, not because of our behavior, because it isn't worth being saved for, and, and, and not because of our bloodline, because it isn't our bloodline, but it's our belief line. We trust in Jesus Christ to save us despite ourselves. And he does. That's good news. So all of this is going to take a long, long time, friends. And I've taken a long time getting to this point. I'm six minutes behind. Okay. Making snap decisions. Off we go. All right. The, the belief and the bloodline come together 1,500 years after Abraham when in Bethlehem of Judea, a child is born, and his parents both have bloodline that leads up through David and toward Abraham. And this one will be called the Son of God. And we need to be rescued. He came to rescue all of us. We need to be saved. He came to save all of us. Our despicable behavior and thoughts, our hurting words, uh, because we want our own way. Uh, incidentally, that's one of Sinatra's other songs. It's not good at all. I did it my way. Well, that was stupid. Uh, 
Remember what I talked about, the, the word pride and how it's being elevated in, in our society and culture today in such a way for a certain people group? The, the Bible teaches us that pride is the worst of all vices. It says, I am my own God. Yeah, yeah. So we certainly need saving. Now, Jesus comes to be the Savior of the whole world. And as he comes in, the belief line and the bloodline meet and in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. Now, if there are those of you here that have thought that your being okay with God was based on your behavior, forget about it. There is no way we stand up to the awesome commands of God on goodness. We don't do it. If you thought that you were somehow special because of your bloodline, and, and your family's done great things for the world. Forget it. No one is saved by their actions. We are only saved when we admit to God that we are broken, that we are scarred, that we are marred by sin, which seeks to invade every cell of our bodies. Then there's a chance for us. In Genesis 15:1. And I don't have that before you, but it's one of the most wonderful passages. When, when Abraham's very much afraid, God says to him, Abraham, do not fear, for I am your, uh, I am your fortress. And then he says these words, I am your very great reward. To Abraham, Abraham's just thinking, I just need a son. And God says, I am your very great reward. I don't know how many of you ex have experienced what it is to have a personal, one-on-one, -on -one, living, vital relationship with the God of the universe. It, it, it satisfies our longings like nothing else. It, it gives us hope like nothing else. C.S. Lewis, I read this week, said something like this you will find out that the door you've been knocking on your whole life trying to find meaning and happiness will finally open. And it doesn't open by our efforts. It opens because he opens us and he welcomes us to his family. He chooses us and we choose him. And we are made new. He is our great reward. That's the only way I'm making it through this thing. Mornings, I'm strong. Afternoons, I start to get some pain. By the evening, I'm a blubber case. When he has to lay next to me in bed. Because that's when I have all my Abrahamic fears. <laughs> but I know that my God is my very great reward. I want you to know that. If, if he's not your very great reward, I have a prayer for you in just a couple of minutes that, that I will pray that has been written just for you. And it's for those of you who aren't sure that you have this Jesus who rescues you and becomes your best friend. You can today. Now, for the majority of you who are here who would say, I, I am a follower of Jesus and I love my Lord and, and I want to love him more and, and, and all of this sort of stuff, but, but what about me? What do I learn from this Abraham passage? Well, remember... 
that last line in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the verse 4. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, those of us who study the Bible thoroughly know that God intended that the nation of Israel would be the evangelistic nation that would tell the story of God everywhere. And as time went on, they stopped telling the story everywhere and kept it to themselves. Simplistic evaluation of much of Old Testament theology, but there it is. But that's not our way. We are not only blessed because we know Jesus Christ, we are called to be a blessing. We have been blessed to bless. God says to Abraham, you will be a blessing. And then he says, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. You say, well, Lon, what does that mean for me? Well, it means that your time and your relationships and the gospel message on the tip of your tongue, like my wife Marie always says, let's have the gospel message on the tip of our tongue at all times. And then finally, our own generous giving is the way that we bless all the nations on the earth. We want the Jesus story to get everywhere. And so we do that in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. And yes, it requires a sacrifice of time. We do that with our lips when we're in a conversation and somebody wants to know about this God thing that seems to make us tick and we tell them the gospel. And then we do it through our generous giving which allows us to support those that are in different parts of the world that are doing the same thing. And you happen to be in a 90-year-old church that was known from the very beginning for what we call missions. And in fact, I want you to know that within six months of the foundation of this church in 1929, during the height of the Great Depression, this church was formed. They commissioned six missionaries to go into the world. That's your heritage here. You are part of the blessing of God for the whole world by bringing the Jesus story to the whole world. So there's place for you. All right, I'm going to close in a prayer. And this prayer is written primarily for those of you who aren't sure that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to pray it for you. And then I'm simply going to ask that if you prayed that prayer with me, that you would just raise your hand. You don't have to go real high like you stand out. And I won't make you stand up and dance or anything like that. But if you'll just let me see your hand, I want to give you a blessing that supports this prayer that you're praying now. Let us pray. Father, Abraham was not an exemplary man, but he was a believing man, and you declared his righteousness in your eyes. Please, do the same with me. Lord, I am not good but my belief is on you. Save me and make me into a blessing. Amen. If you pray that prayer with me today, would you just let me see your hand real briefly?
Welcome, sir. God bless you, young man. God bless you. Uh, gentleman in the yellow shirt over on this side, God bless you. Any others on this side? I'll take one side at a time. How about over here? Any of you prayed that prayer with me today? We'll call this the everyone safe side. <laughs> Father, for these three hands that went up in faith, they need you. Don't let them down now, Lord. Show them your reality. Show them that their belief in you and the forgiveness of the sins that you offer them through the sacrifice of your own body are enough. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen and amen.